the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good evening. It is so lovely to be back with you. And I was saying earlier, this is the first time I've ever been allowed to start a series. I feel like I've gone up in the world slightly. Um, Tonight, as Chris has mentioned, we are starting a new series, One Another, Relationships, God's Way. Across the next five weeks, we are going to jump around the New Testament, reflecting, hopefully, on what authentic, radical, everyday Christian love is and can look like, considering how we relate to one another, how we best share our lives together. And the New Testament is full of information, of experiences, of ideas about how we do that. In its pages, there are more than 50 references to one another, life shared together. And in those pages, they go beyond just shaping and guiding how we should behave with each other within church into how we interact with the world that actually we spend most of our time in. How we allow these behaviours, these attributes, these attitudes to draw others into God's love, God's grace and God's family. Over the weeks we are going to look at loving one another, accepting one another, carrying one another's burdens, encouraging one another and forgiving one another. I think it's safe to say that the one that we're going to look at tonight, loving one another, is kind of the one that encompasses all of those. We can't accept, come alongside, encourage or forgive those who we don't love. And tonight we have a beautiful passage. In so many ways, there's nothing that needs to be added to it. I'm not going to just read it and sit down, sorry. But it has very much a feeling of completion to it, of being the gospel in a nutshell. So what I would love to do tonight is to give us the opportunity, horrible Christian phrase incoming, to soak in it, to let it kind of wash over us and let it be something that shapes our lives and our heads and our hearts. So we're going to take our time over reading the passage tonight. We are in 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. I'll give you a second of flick, scroll, look at screen time. Choose whichever one you want. God's love and ours. Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Tonight, my prayer is that we would each understand more deeply that. To help us in that, we're going to talk about three different parts of a painting. The background, the focal point, and the frame. I love the descriptions of this passage as a painting of God's love. Now, I am one of the least artistic people imaginable. Give me words, give me practically making things, but please do not ask me to draw or paint you anything. You will not like the results. But I love beautiful paintings. I love art that just encapsulates something, that transports us fully to somewhere or something else. And I think that's what we have here. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. Each mention of the word love feels like John's brushstrokes. With each dip of his paintbrush, he is reiterating and emphasising that you cannot separate God and love. Now, I'm very aware there may well be some of you here who actually know things about painting. (laughs) And so I don't want to kind of take myself too far down that route. But I find commentators' descriptions of this really helpful. Because it separates out how John builds the rhythm and the message of this passage. First, he sets the background. The groundwork that covers the whole canvas. God is love. The essence, the setting, the overall picture is not that God is loving, that God loves, or even that God loves us, but that God is love. There are no changing emotions here. There's no feelings based on external factors, no room for movement. God loves us is a sentence that we rightly hear often in church. But actually, God is love, is far deeper, far more profound, far more precious. The eternal Holy Lord, what is he like? Well, he is love. Everything that God is and does come under that banner, that battle cry, that assurance and that challenge, that he is love. But what does that love look like? I was actually organising old sermon notebooks the other day and realised that this has become a little bit of a soapbox thing for me, but I stand by it. The word love in English is a problem. 
It means too many different things. Too many levels of feeling are included in it. On Friday alone, I said that I loved and fully meant it. A picture a child drew of a tiger with eight legs, a cup of coffee, my mum, a dog at her flocks, the weather, the work of an amazing charity. My love for those things was real. But the eight-legged tiger and my mum shouldn't fall under the same word. In English, the word love is problematic for us. And I think it leaves us feeling like we're searching in the dark for what it means that God is love. But this passage gives us the clearest answer possible. As J.I. Packer describes in Knowing God, the measure of love is how much it gives. So what is the measure of God's love? Well, the passage says this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here is the focal point. The centre of this painting Jesus' death on the cross tells us what love is. When we say that God is love, it isn't a sentimental, comfortable love of nice feelings. It is a love that encompasses everything of God's character. The mighty, holy, righteous, just God is also the God of love. How do we know? Because he died on a cross in our place. This is love. God's best revelation of his love is a man dying at the hands of Roman torture. God's best revelation of his love is that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In this beautiful painting that John is writing, we find the cross at its centre. I don't know what that looks like in your mind. I genuinely don't. I can't picture things. But this beautiful passage allows John to distill down the most enormous ideas that God is love to the very essence of it on the cross. Love in action. Now, the observant among you may have noticed that I've ignored some verses so far. 7, 11, 12. Why? Well, because I don't think they're the painting. But instead, they're the frame. This is nearer my level of artistic ability on PowerPoint than (laughs) the beautiful paintings we've talked about so far. But what is the frame to this? Well, we are. On either side of the passage, we read this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That is the frame that goes around this picture of God's love. Just as the early church that John is writing to were called to be that frame to God's love, so are we. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Is as true now as it was then. But it's also as challenging now as it was then. John is clear that the only response to knowing God's love is to love each other. To be so transformed by God's love that it flows out of us and into others. Being there, the framing to this amazing picture of God's love suggests that we are called to hold that love and share that love. That as his creation, as his children, as those who God lives in and where his love is made complete, we are meant to take on the same kind of love. If I'm honest, this passage would be much easier if it said, dear friends, let us love those people who we like. Dear friends, let us love our friends. Let us love the easy people. But it doesn't. Let us love one another. All of us loving all of us. All of us loving everyone who we meet. The challenging boss. The driver who cuts you up. The unwanted interruption. Loving people even in the moments where actually we don't like them. And that doesn't have to look like huge seismic moments all of the time. Like life-changing decisions, but I think more like small mundane choices. That choose to think the best of others. That choose to love others. I read a really silly thing yesterday, and you're going to laugh at me, and that's okay. And it might sound really trivial, but this is my plan for loving others better this week. For context, I at the moment spend a lot of time driving. Whether it's commuting, whether it's travelling back and forth, I spend a lot of my time behind the wheel. And most of that time is when I am at my most rushed, my most tired, my most stressed, and my most bored. And it does not bring out the best in me. <laughs> when other drivers do things that I judge to be silly and wrong, my reactions are not the loving response. But yesterday, I read a tongue-in-cheeks challenge that suggested that you should decide that every driver who slows you down or impedes you is driving like that because they are transporting a wedding cake. 
And that is why they are driving so slowly in your way. That is why they are suddenly changing lanes. It's all about protecting the wedding cake. Now, it has a silly sense to it. In some ways, it is meaningless. The drivers never hear what I have to say about their driving. But there is a heart change to it. In choosing to accept a silly but good motivation for why they are doing what they are doing, that changes my reaction and my heart for them. I'm much more okay with it if it's about a wedding cake. And my hope is that doing something silly for a week changes a habit that then allows me just generally to be a much more loving, much better driver with far fewer things to say about other people's driving. Because I want to be more like this passage describes. Because when you are loved by the God who is love, you are also called to love. When you've seen the picture of the God who is love, you are called to frame it. Even in the silly little things. This is a slight sidestep, but before there was ever Toy Story, there was the story of the Velveteen Rabbit, which some of you may well know. If you don't, it has a very Toy Story-esque feel to it. It's about toys in a nursery longing to be real. And it contains this wonderful exchange between the horse and the rabbit. I'd love to read it to you. It goes like this. Real is a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real, said the horse. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the horse, for he was always truthful. When you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up? he asked, or bit by bit. It doesn't happen all at once. You become It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. In many ways, that story of becoming real feels like our story of becoming love. It feels like it should read a little bit like this. Love is a thing that happens to you. When God loves you for a long, long time, When you really know that he loves you, then you become love. Does it hurt? Sometimes. 
Does it happen all at once or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once. You become. It takes a long time. Because when you are loved by the God who is love, you are called to love. When you've seen the picture of the God who is love, you are called to reflect it and frame it. I said at the beginning that this passage had nothing really to add to it, and then I proceeded to talk for a long time after that. But I still think in so many ways this passage just stands on its own so easily. That it puts up its hand and answers so many questions. What is God like? What does God think of us? What are our lives meant to be like? All of them and so much more are held in these five verses. So I'd love to finish by just reading them again. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us.